Hi there, I'm Catherine, and this is the night before podcast for your English literature paper two exam tomorrow. The aim of this podcast is to get you ready for your exam. I'm going to run through some quick poems um, for the Love and Relationships anthology. Um, and then I'm going to talk about some unseen poetry tips and tricks, some general revision tips, and how to bust stress before your exams. let's have a quick run through of some of the poems you could have tested in your English literature exam tomorrow. And don't panic if these aren't the poems that come up because you can always use these to compare against the one that does come up or just generally take ideas about the themes and the topics that are covered in the AQA love and relationship topics. So let's start off with a poem by Lord Byron who was born in 1788 and died in 1824. This poem is called When We Two Parted and it was written in 1816. People think it's based on an affair Lord Byron had with the married Lady Frances Webster. The poem describes the end of a relationship. The poem focuses on the narrator's feelings of bitterness, regret and loss. The poem also explores the narrator's inability to share his pain, as the relationship was a forbidden one. By the end, our narrator is looking to the future, but he's incapable of seeing how he could ever feel any differently to how he does at the moment. Structure and rhyme. The poem follows a rigid eight-line stanza structure with a clear ABAB rhyme scheme. This rigidity of form is contrasted with the narrator's feelings of loss and confusion. There's a cyclical structure. The repetition of in silence and tears at both the beginning and the end of the poem gives the poem a circular structure. It could show that the narrator is unable to move on. Just to recap that, it's got an eight-line stanza structure and an ABAB rhyme scheme. And at the beginning and the end, the, the phrase in silence and tears is repeated. Let's have, a key quotation. Let's have a look at a key quotation now. Quote, long, long shall I rue thee, too deeply to tell. Byron used the word rue, meaning to bitterly regret, suggests that he feels that the relationship was not worth the intensity pain he feels now. In secret we met, in silence I grieve. This quotation demonstrates the narrator's frustration at his inability to share with others the nature of his pain. They name thee before me, a knell to mine ear. These lines imply that the sound of his lover's name reminds Byron of death. The term knell is associated with the ringing of a bell at a funeral. The language. In this poem, Byron subverts themes of love poetry. We would expect that his lover's cheeks would be flushed, but instead they are pale and her kisses go colder. By using words you would expect in a less positive poem, Byron creates an exaggerated sense of loss for his reader. The reader is shocked by his darker use of language. So how does Byron subvert classic love poetry to describe his lover? He says her cheeks are pale and her kisses grow colder. So that's a quick summary of when we two parted. Now let's have a look at a poem by Elizabeth Barrett Browning, who was born in 1806 and died in 1861. This poem is Sonnet 29, and it's an extended metaphor following the narrator's feeling of distance from her lover. The narrator tells her lover she thinks of him all the time, so much so that her thoughts have become like vines that act to hide him from her. But over the course of the poem, she comes to realise that her conception of him in her mind can never match up to his physical presence in her life. She concludes that she no longer needs to think of her lover as she, need, as she is near him, and that is enough. In Sonnet 29, we see a direct contrast to the kind of relationship we see in Barrett Browning's husband's poem, Porphyra's Lover. In Porphyra's Lover, we have one narrative voice caught up in their thoughts. 
but in Browning's poem, the narrator acknowledges her lover as a person that exists outside of her mind. A sonnet has 14 lines of the regular rhyme scheme. It's made up of two quatrains, which means two parts of four lines, and a sestet, which is one part of six lines. A sonnet is usually about love. Sonnets are especially concerned with love as is in some way unattainable. We can see in some ways how Barrett Browning has subverted this norm as she is separated from her own lover by her own thoughts. There's a tree imagery throughout the poem. Browning builds up an extended metaphor of her feelings being violent, while her lover is a steadfast tree. Her thoughts are unconstrained and are growing out of control, obscuring the reality of her lover. For example, my thoughts do twine and bud about thee as wild vines about a tree. In the final sestet of the poem, the tree shakes off the bondage of the vines. This symbolises the narrator allowing her lover to reassert himself in her life as a physical presence rather than simply a thought. Here's a key quotation. Yet, O my palm tree, be it understood, I will not have my thoughts instead of thee. This quotation indicates the narrator's changing mind in the second quatrain as she is beginning to realise she should not place her thoughts of her lover over his physical presence. Another key quotation is, renew thy presence as as a strong tree should. As our narrator reaches the state of breaking free from her thoughts, the language of the poem becomes excited. Explosive verbs and exclamations, such as renew, exemplify the narrator's reinvigorated desire for her lover. What kind of verb is renew? Is it intransitive, passive, explosive or interrogative? The correct answer is that it's explosive. So that's everything you need to know about this Lord Byron poem. Sorry, that's everything you need to know about this Elizabeth Barrett Browning poem. Finally, let's have a look at a poem from Seamus Heaney. He was born in 1939 and died in 2013, so this is a much more recent poem. Seamus Heaney is an Irish poet who grew up in Balagi in Northern Ireland. He was one of eight children and went on to become an English teacher. And the poem we're going to be focusing on is called Follower. Follower was published in 1966 in a collection that focused on childhood and and this rural Irish identity that Heaney had. Heaney's poem follows his childhood memories of his father ploughing. He admires his father's skill. The poem continues on as the boy in the poem follows in his father's shadow. Sometimes his father is carrying him. The perspective of the poem shifts and we hear from the narrator in the present. He wished to be like his father, but all he ever really did was follow him around. The poem ends ambiguously with Heaney's father following him, tripping and stumbling. But it's unclear whether this is his father or the memory of him that follows around. Heaney explores this often painful realisation that our parents aren't the superheroes we imagine them to be as a child. Heaney remembers his childhood idolisation of his father and his inability to match up to his father's strength. He then suddenly and abruptly undermines this image with the final stanza, in which his father is now stumbling and frail. So what does follower draw on Heaney's childhood memories of his father doing? Is it farming, fighting, writing or ploughing? Correct answer is ploughing. The poem follows a neat ABAB rhyme scheme and is written in iambic tetrameter. There are half rhymes as well, which gives the poem a childlike and song-like character. The importance of the title. So the title of the poem follower refers to both the father and son at different points in the poem. The opening stands that the poem focuses on the narrator's admiration for his father's skill, 
while the centre stands is following the narrator attempting to find his own identity. And then the poem concludes with the father following behind. There is natural imagery. The narrator gives a sense of deep connection to the natural rural world. He uses words like sod, plod, hedrig, which means a strip of land, team and hobnail to evoke a vivid picture of farming life of his childhood. There's also a deep, deeply sensory poem as Heaney builds up a landscape of sound, sights and movements. We hear his father's clicking tongue, sod moving but not breaking, and we smell the sweating team of horses. Heaney builds up a sense of memory as, as more than just images and evokes it wildly through, through using all the senses. And that's everything you need to know about Heaney's poem. Let's have a look at some tips and tricks for dealing with the unseen poetry part of this exam. So first and foremost, don't panic. This is not designed to trip you up. The poem is chosen for you to show off your poetry analysis skills, not trick you. It's not deliberately really hard. It's just challenging, but it should be a challenge you're able to overcome, given that you've been able to answer questions already on poetry and have already analysed tons of poems as part of your course. So if you use the skills that you use when analysing the poetry from your anthology, you will be fine. And it seems obvious, but you aren't expected to know the poet or the poem beforehand. That's not the skills that they're testing in this part of the exam. So yeah, just to reiterate, don't panic. Use the skills that you already know and just analyse the poem as you would any other poem. And obviously general exam tips apply. Make sure you structure your answer well, write in full sentences, answer the actual question. Let's have a run through of some general exam tips for going into your exam tomorrow. First of all, most importantly, read the question. I know you would have heard this tons of times before, but read the question and know what you're being asked. And answer the question that you've actually been given, not the one that you want to answer. It's really easy with essay subjects to try and twist the question you've been given into an essay that you've written before or that you've already studied, but you will lose points for this. So just make sure you actually answer the question you've been given. Second, and this is kind of related to this, Read the command words. So is the question asking you to compare things? Is it asking you to assess the extent of something? Is it asking you to evaluate? Make sure that you actually respond to the way the question is asking you to respond. Third, remember to use quotes in your essays. It seems really obvious, but it's English literature. You need to back up the points you're making with quotes from the text that you've used. Then plan your time well. So make sure, at the, actually at the beginning of the exam, take a moment just to make sure you know when you need to start and end each question. Don't spend too much time answering one question and have to rush out another one because the marks that you'll gain from the long answer probably won't balance out the ones you lose from not writing enough. So make sure that you've got a good balance across your entire paper and yeah, don't, don't, ha don't put yourself in a position where you have to rush because you won't be doing the best that you can do. And finally, try to use an essay structure in your answer. Have an instruction and a conclusion and try and have distinct paragraphs that set out your ideas clearly. This way that you, you can show off to the examiner how much you do know because you'll be able to express your ideas and your thoughts really clearly. And they'll be able to see how the work you've been doing and the concepts and ideas that you've been able to understand and convey to them. Finally, let's run through a quick stress buster. So first of all, you know your stuff. You can get through this. You have been revising. Maybe you haven't done as much as you wanted to do, but you've still been revising. By listening to this podcast, you have been revising. So you can get through this exam. Shake off the bad vibes. 
make sure that you're not going in there with an attitude of you can't do this. Go in with a positive attitude, some good vibes, and you'll be fine. Get active. Maybe tonight, maybe some point during the week, you have some time off. Go for a brisk walk or go for a jogger or a swim if you're able to. This can help you really focus, clear your head and just, you know, get out of your room or get out of the library. Make sure you pack your bag the night before with all your exam essentials. So you're not going in panicking about where your pens are or whether you've got everything that you need for the next day. Luckily, with English literature, you don't really need much equipment. You just really need to be able to have a pen and a few backup pens just in case those ones run out. Make sure you've got one that actually doesn't hurt to hold for too long because you're going to be writing quite a lot in this exam. Good luck for your exams. We're going to be releasing night before podcasts before every exam. And if you head on over to YouTube on every weekday, we are going to be doing live streams at 4.45 and 5.30. So make sure you subscribe. And while you're at it, rate us five stars. We're amazing. (laughs) Good luck.